0: here it says that he began to live into the gospel and it was only over time that you could see the truth of what had happened to him here it says that he began proving and teaching powerful things wow hey welcome to night church the friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're gonna be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are gonna encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here and I hope you enjoy this sermon and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Hey, good to see everybody. That's kind of an interesting way to start. Hey, I'm not Canadian, but my wife is, so I kind of do that more than she does. I'm more Canadian than the Canadians. No, that's maybe more than she is, but hey, it's good to be in front of you tonight. I'm so excited to be in this series, Community and Us. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed the last two sermons Uh, just the journey through the book of Acts. I know the guys got a little bit exhausted last week, but I think they were built up in the Lord. not sure. All right. All right. That's okay. That's okay. We'll keep praying for you. No, no, it was a really good, good experience. We're going to actually do that with the ladies tonight. So those of you who would like to stay afterwards, we're going to have a moment uh, with the women in that way. But Tonight, I want to really share with you something that I think is really pertinent in the journey that we live on this life on earth, and that is the idea of trust and hurt. Rebuilding trust when you break it and learning to trust other people again when they hurt you. It's really tough when you think about the journey of being hurt by someone that you think should be your friend. But then they backstab you. It's really tough when someone being your parent causes that. It's tough when it's someone that you knew maybe a lot of years of your life. It's tough when it's a church member and you say, wait, you're a Christian? Is that how Christians treat each other? I thought more of you I remember being in college, it was my sophomore year, and I had spent an amazing time with a good buddy of mine doing missions together for a whole year before this. We get back to school together and we're doing a ministry. Man, it's so fun. But during that time, I, for one reason or another, my other buddy and I, who were leading the ministry itself, we were just at odds with the chaplain. For some reason, we were trying to do different things for the Lord. We want to do these tent evangelistic series in the middle of campus. And she's like, what in the world? You're crazy, you guys. Anyways, we just weren't seeing eye to eye on the, the risks we were wanting to take for the kingdom. And she was just like, I don't know about that. Well, my buddy, who was a good friend of mine, was working right under her and I I started realizing when we would have meetings with the chaplain, she knew everything we had talked about in these other meetings that she was not part of. And I'm like, how is she getting all this information? How does she know about this next thing or this thing or or what we said here and what we did there? And it went on week after week, and she would like bring us into the office, and she'd like get real angry. I'm like, what is going on here? Come to realize... My best friend, best friend, was telling her everything we were talking about in the meetings. He had more loyalty to her than to me. And I was so hurt. It took me a while. It took me a while. I'm telling you a while till I felt right to even look at him and talk to him again. It's not a matter of if, but it's simply when you will be hurt by those nearest and dearest to you. You might be sitting next to them. You might know them in your home. They might be someone who you've never actually wanted to talk to again. Tonight, we get into the book of Acts in this series called Community and Us. We're looking at how community was developed in this New Testament church. And how did they navigate the same troubles that you and I go through? The same troubles that we faced, they faced. How did they get through it and work through it? And so tonight we enter into the book of Acts chapter 8 and 9. And we look at hurt and trust. So our story begins where another story ends. We begin in chapter 7 actually, right at the very tail end. Stephen, one of the faithful seven, the brothers who were chosen, you know the men, you know their qualities and why they were chosen. And one of those seven, Stephen, decided that it was time for him to profess his faith of the kingdom of God and the love for Jesus to everyone who was near where he was at there in the city of Jerusalem. And as he was starting to preach, now the Jewish leaders started to come and listen. And they started to hear they were being called out, not just called out, but you were the ones who crucified Jesus. Now they started to get real angry. And then he cries out and looking up and he says, I see the son of man there in his glory. And this was a divine title for Jesus. And now as they were gnashing their teeth together, that was the last straw. You're calling Jesus the divine, they're done. And it was in that moment, they couldn't grind their teeth any harder. They went at him, pulled him out, And this is where we end up now jumping into the story. There in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved his execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering the house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. When your own man, your own guy of the church begins to now cause trouble, when your own person, man, I thought you were on my team, what are you doing now persecuting us? Saul, commentators believe, was in his 30s at this time, and he was part of a group called the Sanhedrin, who was the Jewish ruling council. They were officially those who were in charge of this Roman provincial region of Palestine. They were both priests and Jewish teachers. They were people with means and influence. And Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. This guy now, you have to realize the significance of Stephen dying. This was ending actually the 490 year prophecy that was told in the book of Daniel. At the stoning of Stephen, now the Gentiles would hear the gospel for the first time. Jesus, before he left, Matthew 28, he said, stay in where? Judea and Jerusalem, this region, but now they were scattered. See, what these Jewish rulers believed would squench the spirit of God actually was the exact thing that was needed to bring the gospel to go forth in all the region of the world. Persecution was the seed of the spread of the gospel. One of the reasons I believe that the United States right now currently where we're at is seeing the rise of the nuns and not the NUNS, not talking about Catholic ladies with hats, but those N-O-N-E-S, those who claim no faith, no religious affiliation, no sense of tradition in faith any longer, why that number keeps going up every year and every decade. Now the number has jumped from 16% 20 years ago, to 20% 10 years ago, to now 25%. It is by the year 2050, Christianity will be the minority in the United States. You know the reason why I believe that's happening? It's because we do not have and see a physical persecution of our faith. When you go to overseas in different places where they're being persecuted for their faith actively, visually, and feeling the effects of it, going to prison, being brought before councils, being penalized, being given fees, being literally their churches burned, these places are seeing the faith explode. Why? Because they're like, why does the state hate us so much? Because there's truth to what we have. In the United States, we have simply persecution by words, persecution maybe by employers. Hey, don't talk about Jesus here. And some of us are too, and I use this word very carefully, but some of us are too weak in our faith and understanding of the gospel to be willing to speak out, to willing to step out into the faith moments when God calls you to say, hey, don't be scared. Don't be scared about what you believe. Don't be timid. Here is not the place. This is not the time. Stephen understood his moment had come and he was willing to take the risk. Are you? Saul approved his execution and begins a rampage of the church. A man of God. I don't know how many times you've ever met those people who are so boldly proclaiming an answer to something and then you just wait a couple minutes and you, they're like, oh, I, I, I'm actually wrong. I'm so sorry. You know, they say that college freshmen after their first semester have the confidence level of someone who has been in their field for almost 50 years. <laughs> I just learned so much let me tell you. And then they go through a couple years of school and they're like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> they really have actually graphed this on a chart the X and the Y axis, the confidence level and the knowledge level, and literally freshmen here, and then give it just four years and it's like, Bleh. and it only takes a matter of time till then it goes back up. But sometimes we are boldly wrong. It's embarrassing, it's embarrassing. One time at church, this was my first year of ministry, okay, so don't judge me. I saw a pregnant woman who I knew was gonna deliver and I looked at her and I said, oh, when's the baby due? And I knew the moment I asked the question, I shouldn't have asked the question. She turned beet red, looked down, and then her husband walks up behind me. Hey, Pastor Phil. And I look down and he's holding the baby. <laughs> Terrible. Sometimes you want to speak boldly about something. Ask something with such excitement. You, you know you're right about something, but you're so wrong. And that was me that day. I, if I recounted to you all the dumb things that I did that year as a pastor, it would I'd cry. I'd cry. <laughs> but that's the thing, Paul was so vehement not just in his courage, but in his desire to do the work of God and harm and hurt hundreds and thousands of people doing it boldly, thinking he's doing a service. And so we continue with the passage here and we look now at something that doesn't make sense to the eyes. Last night I taught a class, uh, Loma Linda Perspectives, and and in the class we're dealing with issues of of miracles and faith, and, and some of these things just seem miraculous. And we're about to talk about a miraculous thing. Some of you are like, bro, I'm not there yet. I don't know if I can believe in these miracles of God. But before I tell you the miracle of God, I want to tell you, though, a little bit of a primer to what we're going to talk about right now. What you're about to read and see in the text will cause some of you to get a little bit angry and frustrated because you know you've experienced this in your own life when someone's hurt you, when they want to kind of come and cozy up to you again. And you're like, are you, get away from me. When an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend wants to send you that message and kind of get back in your life. Or potentially when someone who's really hurt you, maybe a parent. I've sadly had to sit with people who've been sexually abused by their own family members. The pain. You want to get back in my life? Or when someone has encountered an accident, that someone was being careless and thoughtless. I remember a young adult who was sitting there at a stop sign and someone just literally virtually ran into his car and went even above it. They were just on their phone texting. Literally, they almost were paralyzed. You want to come out and tell me sorry? Are you kidding me? I found this really interesting if you've ever looked up the journey of serial killers coming to faith in prison, it's a f- fascinating experience. I've, I've actually seen it in my own church that I got to pastor in Arkansas. And there was a lot of prison ministry that was done there in Arkansas in that community where I was. And many times church members really had issues with people who were ex-convicts that they had been doing Bible studies with behind the bars, and then they get released, and you're like, wait, you want to come Here? I mean, this was at a distance. I was cool with that. But you want to actually come to our church? How long should we punish people for their sins? How long do I hold it against you for what you've done to me? In a statement by one serial killer, her name was Carla Faye Tucker. She killed a couple with a pickaxe. Some months after arriving in prison, she came to faith after finishing a Bible course. I wonder if it was one of our Discovery Bible courses, Jordan. I don't know what course it was, but it was powerful enough that it led her to realizing her need for Jesus. And she said, I want to believe in Christ. And she does. And her conversion was so powerful that she started to preach and teach other prisoners about the gospel and reach out to them. And and now this story of this serial killer comes out to the news. People are like, she's preaching and she's teaching? Yeah, I don't believe it. She just wants to lower her sentence. She was on death row. Didn't matter what she would do or for how long, she wasn't going to be getting out of it. Listen to what was said Her gain today was our loss at the day of her injection. Said her husband after her death, someone that literally reached thousands of people for Christ and probably will continue through her testimony, even though she cried out for forgiveness, God gave her just what she needed. That was love. We've all made mistakes in our lives. Who are we to say when a person is past redemption? And that's what we're saying when we kill people, human beings. With this in your mind, let's read the story. Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul still breathing out murderous threats. Literally in the Greek, it's it's this anger. It's it's this intense ferocity coming out of his mouth and his words. Breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which was the name of the Christian, literally the word the way is used more than the word Christian. The way is used six times in the New Testament. Christian was only three times. I think it would be a beautiful thing if we almost called ourselves part of the way more than than Christian. Sometimes the word Christian doesn't mean anything anymore but I'm following the way of Jesus. I'm part of the way. Let me see how long you might be willing to be part of the way after you hear what happens. Whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And he neared Damascus, verse three, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. I found it fascinating that he would say, Jesus, to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting the people that I love? Why are you persecuting my children? Why are you persecuting your church folk? Why are you persecuting little kids and their parents? Why are you putting them in the prison causing these kids harm and, and struggle and difficult No, you didn't say that. He said, "Why are you persecuting me?" We have to remember when we are part of the body of Christ as the book of Ephesians speaks of the body of Christ and who is the head? Christ. When we harm others in any way in this life, we harm God himself. He is part of the body. And he is its head. And so when Saul was doing all these things, he was attacking God himself, whom he thought he was leading valiantly in a way of victory. Arrogantly wrong. Verse 7, verse 6, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask there for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. There are people who hurt people who are seeking after God. And they're looking for someone who might help them find the way. But Ananias isn't having any of it. Look what he tells the Lord. Lord, Ananias answered, verse 13, I've heard many reports of this man, reports about the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this is my chosen instrument oh what <laughs> the killer the guy persecuting the guy imprisoning the guy causing little kids to lose their parents the guy that's causing commotion ch- that that guy is your chosen instrument The serial killer, Carla, your instrument? Hmm. Verse 16. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. In this life, this needs to be so clear because some of you are like, Pastor, I don't know where you're going with this. There are consequences to our sins that God cannot take away from you and me. At some times, there are moments of relief, but other times there are not. A young man from our community a couple years ago found himself and is currently incarcerated in prison for seven years I've spoken to him probably every month on the phone. He calls me, "Hey Pastor Phil, how you doing? What's going on?" And we talk about life. The consequences of his journey have arrived to him being in prison because of the decisions he made here on this earth. But guess what, friends? He loves Jesus with all his heart. He's going to Bible studies. He's leading his cellmate to know Christ. He's preaching and teaching to me when we're on the phone. What do I say about that? What what do I tell you when, when I say, is he a godly man? I have to say he is. And guess what, though? He will face the consequences for his decisions, though. God does not take away the consequences of our actions, though his grace is found. And so here here we are. Verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. (laughs) Brother Saul. I don't know how many of you have ever expressed when you've hurt someone and felt their pain and seen their tears You know what you did to me? And then when they offer you the olive branch of brother and sisterhood again, the joy that fills your heart. I don't tell young people to do this until they're getting close to being engaged. There's that point where you have to talk about some of the things of your past. The, the ways in which you have faltered. And I say that to wait because you wanna give that person the ability to discover the new you. I am no longer Saul, I'm Paul. But if I tell you about Paul right now, you will have no vision or understanding of the Paul that I am. So I say wait a little bit. I remember the night I spoke to Elena about some things of my past that I wasn't proud of. And I cried there in her arms. And she looked at me and she said, Philip, I love you still. Brother Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as we're coming here, he has sent me to you so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just want when we have hurt others to simply walk into a space where, hey, all right, we're cool again, fine, deal. He wants the person who has done the harm to be found in the fellowship of believers and to be empowered with his regenerating spirit because he wants them to still be a vehicle and a vessel for the kingdom. Would you withhold that from them? It's a very difficult thing When you've been the one who's been hurt. And you're hearing this tonight and you're like, hell no. There's no way. Verse 18 immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul, was then sent to Damascus, and he spent several days with the disciples there. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he been the one to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Wasn't he the one who abused people? Wasn't he the one who cheated, robbed, did all those things to those people? I know who he is. I know who he is. All those whom heard him were astonished. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living among Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen, Father. This is so important. Now let's talk about rebuilding trust when you've been the one to hurt people. It's really difficult when I talk to a husband who's been looking at pornography and I'm sitting there with his wife, sitting there with him, and she's like, how can I trust him again? Or when it gets even worse, when a guy has maybe had an affair and I sit there with both of them and and we talk about how do you rebuild trust? And the girl's like, I'm triggered every time he gets on his phone and I see him there. Is he texting her? And there's no way to win. Because she will be triggered over and over and over again. And every time when the guy wants to get defensive, I tell him, brother, you might have to do this for a long time to rebuild trust. Do not get angry at her for questioning what you're doing. But let your actions over time declare who you've become. Paul here It says that he began to live into the gospel and it was only over time that you could see the truth of what had happened to him. Here it says that he began proving and teaching powerful things. Wow, to learn all these things, he had to spend time with the disciples. Some commentators believe that he literally spent years and years studying and learning and teaching and growing in the faith of Jesus only over a long period of time. Verse 23, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan day and night, and he kept close watch in the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through the opening of the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but... They were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, it just takes one person to bring someone back into the fellowship of God. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated the Hellenistic Jews, those Greek believing Jews. But then they still tried to kill him. They still didn't believe. And they believed also he was a harm to the Jewish faith. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. They they increased in numbers. It's a really difficult thing for me to go up here tonight and tell you as I've encountered my own forms of pain, and even as our family is going through different things right now in our lives with other issues and different things and people, and I'm just like, God, how can I forgive these people? I love the research that's come out on forgiveness. If you've ever looked at this, I love this book called Forgive to Live by Dr. Tibbetts. He was a graduate here of Loma Linda. And he writes the idea that you forgive not so that other people can be released of things. You forgive so that you might be released of the bitterness and anger you hold on to. You forgive people so that you, you first might find peace in this life again. And now go into the science of this. It's pretty amazing. Just look up the Journal of Behavioral Medicine. This title of a study that was done forgive to live, forgiveness, health, and longevity. What they found is that people who harbor great, sense, great amounts of bitterness against those who have harmed them in life actually decrease their longevity. They decrease in mental health power. They decrease in cardiovascular health. They decrease in positivity in relationships those who are willing to walk the journey of forgiveness though, longer life, greater mental health strength, greater heart strength, greater relationship, more positivity in the relationships that they're with with others. When you forgive others, it does not mean A, that what they did was okay. That's first. Number two, when you forgive others, it doesn't mean you will have the same relationship with them that you had in the past. When you forgive others, it doesn't mean it will be without distance and boundaries. Because to forgive, again, it is both for you and for them, but it doesn't mean what they did was right. It doesn't mean there won't be consequences and it doesn't mean you won't establish boundaries again to bring about a relationship that's healthy this time. So Paul here, a community had to forgive him for the hurt that he had done to them. He had to rebuild their trust over a long period of time. But along the way, people still would get triggered when they would see him. Bro, wait, are you taking me? I'm hearing him, your bud. What? That still would happen regularly and it might still happen in your life with the people that you've hurt or those that have harmed you. But why do we ultimately also forgive? Because of one Bible verse. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We forgive in this life because God forgave us while we were in sin. We forgive those who have harmed us, and I don't tell you this in any form of pressure because the journey of how and when you forgive and how it looks like is so personal to each one of you. I've had to walk through the journey of helping people forgive others who have literally died. Parents who've passed away, but the kids literally held on to the bitterness and anger for so long still. I end with this story with you. My brother Carl and I have a podcast called The Overflow Podcast. And in that season one of the podcast, we got to interview someone by the name of Jean Gersbach. Her story still Still gets me to this day. I re-listened to it again as I was thinking about forgiveness. And I thought, wow, I need to tell them. They found themselves as a family. Jean and her husband as missionaries to a beautiful nation. I won't even say the country because I don't think I want to diminish the beauty of the country just by what happened to them. And there they were in this beautiful tropical place enjoying their moment of giving back to God, being of service to the church. Gene's husband was a business manager and he was called to help at the hospital and run the accounting department. And there a family that had heard for some reason or another that their bill was enormous, they wouldn't be able to pay it off, thinking in some strange capacity, well, if we take out the accountant, we won't have a bill. They literally slaughtered him. Taking machetes, two men literally cut him to pieces. The moment, the day that that was found out, Jean and her daughter, they were taken to a a separate space of hiding because they thought maybe they would even be harmed and hurt. They were literally funneled immediately out of the country. Jean, she says that she didn't even have time to pack a single thing. Didn't have a moment to speak to anyone but I left my husband back in pieces. Never being able to say goodbye, good night. I hope to see you again. She writes that the bitterness and the anger that seeped within her soul was so grave and dark and, and fierce that it would cause her to cry at night, cause her to cry for her husband, cause her to cry in the evil that she just felt that was towering around her. And she got to a point years later that she sensed God doing something miraculous in her heart. She began the work of intellectually forgiving those men. Intellectually. But it wasn't until years later that God gave her the gift of understanding it and feeling it emotionally and letting what the head had done move to the heart so the bitterness and anger had ceased. She was invited to go to the trial of this man who had slaughtered her husband. I was able to speak with him. And it was a painful encounter, but it was a, it was a 360. It was being able to go back and to see and to hear. And, and it was a moment for her to recognize that there was no longer bitterness in her soul. There was no longer this anger there. Was she still without a husband? Yes. Was there still justice? Yes. This man wasn't given back his freedom. He would face a fair and, and big trial and he was in prison for what he did. But he too became to understand the grace of God over his life and soul in prison as well. And Jean was grateful for that. What do you do with stories like these when you hear them? Or if you've ever read the book, The End of the Spear, or seen the movie, the missionaries that go into a country and are slaughtered, five fathers, and and the family ends up going back to this nation and and forgiving these men in the tribe that, that killed their father, their husband, their daddy. And they become now elders in the church, literally, these killers and baptize the children of the husbands they killed. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Friends, in this life, in this moment, in this journey here in church, you will face many trials and many tribulations. And my encouragement to you is this. Forgive to live. Give grace to the hurting. Give grace to the persecutor rebuild trust if you've hurt people allow time for you to begin trusting those again for some of you it might be in love and romance you've been really hurt for those of you it might be within a friendship might be with a girl might be with a guy might be with friends that you have might be with a parent might be with a teacher or might I even say a pastor a religious figure Many people walk away from church, a large majority of young adults, get this, three-fourths of them walk away because of relational issues at church and in their home, with leaders, with church members, and in their family. If you don't understand how to deal with the pain of hurt with each other now, what do you think heaven's gonna be like as you sit next to the criminal, the serial killer, Carla? And those who've caused immense amount of pain and you just look at God, is this what it was about? I don't know about this. In this journey, in this life, I don't want to diminish anyone's pain, but I do want to encourage you. Seek the journey of forgiveness and pain, relief for your own soul. Forgive to live. Trust again. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you wanna follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to LLUC.org give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.